You are listening to an Institute for Mathematical Innovation podcast, giving insight into the maths behind scientific advances and how maths can be harnessed to improve our lives and the world around us. Okay, thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, so, uh, mathematics can make you fly. This is the topic of this uh, lecture. Or more modestly, um, we are going to discuss the next 15 minutes or so. Yes, the yes. Approximate time I have. Okay. Uh, the mathematics behind image manipulation. So, the title of this uh, talk all started with this picture here. So, this is uh, Joanna, one of my PhD students. Um, and she seems to be flying. Um, but the reason why she's flying is not because she has supernatural powers, um, but because, sorry, I should have a presenter, I'm moving around too much, um, but because um, she was originally sitting on a stool, and we have used this equation here, that I will go in a bit more detail, um, explaining to you where this comes from. We've used this equation to get rid of the stool and replace it with uh, something that is suggested by the surrounding of the stool. Okay, so basically replace the stool with blackboard and floors and stuff like that. Yeah? Okay, and then this looks like that. Yeah? Um, the same mechanism has been used for this person here, so this man here is still alive today. <laughs> um, and the reason why he's still alive is because, of course, he was actually jumping with a bungee rope. And uh, similar uh, image processing methods can be used. Uh, instead of getting rid of the stool or the rope in the picture, to get rid of things which have been additionally put on the photograph, like these uh, scribbles that someone nasty has put onto this modified picture here. And then you treat these regions in the same way as you treat the stool or the bungee rope, and you get rid of them. Yeah? Um, and interestingly, all the, the, the very similar mathematical concepts, uh, similar to the ones that make Joanna fly, can be used for many other imaging tasks. Uh, and here I just have a few examples. So one of them is uh, in uh, medical imaging, how to uh, get highly resolved medical images where the doctors can actually see what is wrong with you. Going from a picture like that, that has been um, achieved uh, by a kind of a, a very naive approach, to something like this, where some mathematics go into that, similar to the one that we have seen here, to make this picture actually look uh, such that we can see what is happening. Yeah? Uh, and again, similar methods can be used to detect particular objects in images and maybe in a video track them. So find boundaries around objects, like in this case, those are cells, um, and detect them in different states they're in. In this case, in the first uh, 
uh, in the first row here, these uh, cells are in the middle of cell division. Um, here they are less happy, they are dying. Uh, and here they are kind of in a normal state, they're not doing much, just swimming around. Anyway, so the, again, similar mathematical methods can be used to find these cells, the boundaries around them attract them. And uh, one other image processing tasks, which is very important nowadays, where imaging technologies exist, which use multiple different sensors, or when you go to the hospital, you are sent to one room to get a PET scan, and you are sent to another room to get an MRI taken from you. Um, to use these different, you know, complementing visualizations of the inside of your body together, you need to what is called register those two images to overlay them, to align them with each other, such that you can use all this information together. And in this case, what you see here is not a medical image. This is um, uh, an airborne. Um, uh, this is airborne imaging data where you can alternatingly in these patches uh, see a hyper, one spectral band from a hyperspectral image, where hyperspectral image just means that you are acquiring um, a larger part of the light spectrum, which also captures the invisible ones, not just R, G, and B, but more channels. And the other one is an aerial photograph. And here, those have been aligned already with each other. Okay. So, um, so to do all of this, um, you really, so the work that we are doing is very interdisciplinary, so you cannot do this alone. You need biologists, forest conservation people, uh, art conservation people, clinicians uh, that actually tell you what their problems are and that they give you a, a bit of physical and biological insight uh, of where you know, the, these images are coming from and what they want to extract from them. And it wouldn't be as much fun as it is if I would be doing this all by, by myself. Uh, so this is the Cambridge Image Analysis Group. Um, and the reason why we called ourselves like that is because the abbreviation is quite nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can see that they're having a lot of fun here. So. Okay, so the program for today is as follows. First, I'm going to conceptually explain to you the kind of mathematics that are behind Joanna Flying or all these other types of image processing tasks. And the, math the main mathematics that I'm using, so where I'm coming from, is what is called not, uh, uh, partial differential equations. So this is my daily bread. I'm going to explain to you how these equations can be used in the context of image processing. Um, and then I'll show you some applications. And depending on how much time I've left, I show you all of them, or maybe not all of them. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So the first thing before we can start doing mathematics with images is that we have to understand what a digital image is. Um, you're going to darken again. Good. Okay. So what is this? Um, Bottom. What is it? Yeah. Bottom. That's it. So it's oh, that's great. Okay. okay, a digital image. What is a digital image? A digital image you can really think of as a quantization of our continuous analog world. Okay? So if you look at a 
photograph, a JPEG uh, photograph uh, that you've taken with your digital camera. Uh, when you look at it like that, you don't really see the spontanization, or hopefully you don't see it, because otherwise you have a very low resolution camera. But if you zoom in, and then I zoom in even more, then you start seeing that all of what this picture is actually made of is a bunch of so-called pixels, where in each pixel, which is a little square here, where the information has been quantified in, um, where in this little square, what is visualized here is um, the color in this square, which is given in R, G, and B, for, for instance, okay? which is red, green, and blue, and these are three numbers. So it's a vector with uh, three numbers. So now, um, if we want to do mathematics with uh, such guys, it's good to formalize what this uh, image means. And we can formalize this in terms of a function that I call here u. And if I just start out with a simple, just grayscale image, then it means this function u maps every pixel that I've now, um, uh, now formalized in terms of a pair of coordinates. Every pixel maps to an intensity between 0, black, and 255, white. And if I look at a color image, which is usually what we do nowadays, then this function doesn't just map to a scalar, like here, but maps to a vector, is a vector-valued function, where this vector consists of entries uh, uh, of intensity of red, green, and blue. And you can visualize this either one channel of this color image or the, or the grayscale image. You can visualize this in various ways. You can think of this in various ways. Here you can really see the character of a function, how we might think of a function, where what the only thing I've done here is that I've, um, that I've plotted uh, every intensity, every grayscale in the pixel here in terms of the height. And this gives me a surface. Or you can think of this just as a bunch of numbers in a, in a two-dimensional array. Okay? So this is how we think about images. Um, now, the task we will focus on today is this task which makes Joanna fly and which gets rid of these um, scribbles over the Python image. And this task is called uh, image in painting or image interpolation. And this is the following. You have given an image, which is given on this rectangular domain here, and you define in this image a so-called in-painting domain or pole that for everything that I'm going to uh, tell you in the following will be called capital D. And what you want to do now is you want to fill in information, you want to fill in colors um, into this in-painting domain um, by using the color information that you have in the complement in the other part of this image outside of D. Okay? So this is more or less the idea. This is what we want to do. Um, this is called image information. So in the case of Joanna flying, D would be the stool. And we would like to do this, as I said, with 
partial differential equations. So what are partial differential equations? Um, so partial differential equations are equations of a function of independent variables and their derivatives. And they are based on Newton's differential calculus and they use um, they're used for a variety, to describe a variety of phenomena in nature, which are based on the change of quantities and the relationship between the change of different quantities. And what you see here is one of the most famous and also most well understood equations um, of this class, which is the heat equation, which is basically the function of two spatial variables and one time variable, and it describes um, the evolution of a function u in time as the flux of its spatial gradient. Okay, so what does this mean? Think about, and what I'm going to say is not totally physically correct, but it's close enough for us to understand what this is. The heat equation is also called diffusion equation. So think about your afternoon tea, and you're having a cup with hot tea, and you're pouring milk into that. The milk, when the milk diffuses with the tea, this is more or less what this heat equation describes. Okay, so the milk kind of diffuses with the tea. This is uh, if the milk is you, then uh, this is more or less what this um, what this heat equation is doing. So you can also think of that as a kind of local averaging process. It's going to mix up with the T, it's going to diffuse into this T. And when you apply this to images, just to visualize this, um, it looks like this. So here I'm starting out with a very uninteresting image, just consists of random intensities, random gray values that I've put in every pixel. This is my starting point. And now I'm evolving this guy along this heat equation until one nominal time t equals 10. And what you see is this, this averaging process, this local averaging process, that uh, this image becomes more and more uniform. And in the end, when you run this long enough, what will happen? Okay, just becomes constant, yeah? Okay. Um, so derivatives of images, what are they and why do they pop up in such equations? What is a derivative of an image? Um, and here I would like to start just with what you know from school, basically. Derivatives of functions of just one variable. And for that we're going to do the following. I'm going to look at this red line here and I'm going to plot here the intensities um, that are stored in the pixels that I hit when I walk along this, this line. So this is what I'm plotting here. So this is now a one-dimensional function. And when you think about the, taking derivatives of such a function, and here I'm simplifying things a little bit to make it clearer. So let's say this is my intensity function when I walk along this red line. If I take the first derivative, this is when I take the first derivative, this is when I take the second. And what you see is that what these derivatives are capturing are where things are happening. 
in this function, where things are changing substantially, right? And this is where probably interesting things in the image are happening. This is where you can see structures and images. They can be encoded in where the derivative is actually, um, where the derivative uh, is large or small. And if you do this to an image in the following way, what I'm doing now is I'm taking the derivative of this image, which now, of course, depends on two variables. I'm taking the derivative of this image, walking along the red line. And then I take the derivative of this image when I'm walking along the orthogonal line, so in x and y direction. And then I'm summing them up. I take the modulus of both of them, and I'm summing them up. And I do this for every pixel, and I'm replacing the original intensity in this pixel by this value that I get here. And then I get something like that. So what you see is that where this derivative is showing up is where things are happening. Yeah? Where you have texture or edges which encode the structure hidden in this image. And this is just the same thing taking the second derivative. Okay? So you can see that where something is happening, this is where the derivative um, is showing up. One other explanation for this averaging process in the heat equation is when you, um, um, when you go back to this heat equation, you, one uh, particular class of solutions of the heat equation, uh, actually you can write them down explicitly. And you can write them down explicitly in terms of the image that you started with, in terms of this image G, in the first case I've shown you this random intensity image you started with, um, all solutions of this heat equation for all times can be visually, can be written down um, as the convolution of this given starting image with a Gaussian kernel, where a Gaussian kernel is something like that. And the width of this Gaussian kernel depends on the time um, which means that the longer I walk along the heat equation, the larger my Gaussian kernel gets. And that is important for understanding that you are averaging more and more. Because when I now think what this convolution means, applying to an image G here, what this means is, in the discretized world, is that you are representing this Gaussian in terms of a rectangular, uh, a, a square mask of a particular width, so with a particular amount of pixels, and you write in this mask weights which depend on the height of this Gaussian at different places. So in the center is the largest weight. And what I'm doing now is I'm taking this guy and I'm shifting it over the image, over each uh, pixel, having each pixel in the image in the center, and then I'm replacing the center pixel here with the weighted average, the weights given here, um, of its neighboring intensities. And the larger this gets, which it does, if you go further along the equation, the more averaging happens. Does it make sense? Okay. Um, and this is what you see here. So this is the original one. This is um, the convolution with a, a Gaussian of a particular width uh, equals to two. And this is when you increase this. Okay, so you get more and more averaging. And this is really what happens also when you solve the heat equation. Okay, so this is the same mechanism where the width of the Gaussian depends on the 
depends on this time here. Okay, so what does this have to do with impacting? Well, let's think about the following. Let's think about taking the heat equation now, but not solving it on the whole image for all the intensities there, but only solving the heat equation inside of this impainting domain D, which is given here in these, uh, in terms of these uh, black uh, squares. Um, what this is then doing is it's picking up, think about again the heat equation as a diffusion process, it's picking up the intensities on the boundary of these black squares and it's diffusing them inwards. And then if you do this for long enough, you get something like that. And if I would be able to show you a video, you would see that this is really an evolutionary process. So you start diffusing intensities from the surrounding um, into the impainting domain, and you diff you're, you're diffusing them more and more um, the longer you wait. Okay? So this is the idea. And of course, yeah, so these are new. So if, if the heat equation would solve all of our problems, then I would be jobless. So, uh, which means it probably doesn't. Yeah? Um, so why doesn't it solve, uh, solve all, all of our problems? Well, the problem is that this diffusion doesn't see structure. It doesn't depend on the structure of the image. It just takes these boundary values and diffuses them inwards. And it's doing that in a homogeneous way all over the image. It's a linear process. So this is why nonlinearity is quite important for mathematicians. But one reason. Um, and what, what, here, here you can see the problem. So here this is a very simple picture. But already the heat equation fails in this case. Huh? So this is my impainting domain now in grayscale. And ideally, you know, visually, what you would like to have, how you would probably solve this puzzle, is that you would just continue the white strip here like that, right? So the heat equation fails in doing that. And this is why we are not jobless. So, so several more sophisticated uh, types of PDEs have been investigated. Um, I would say mathematicians uh, have start, started to get interesting in the 90s in this topic. Um, and they're interested till today. Um, and uh, so many uh, things came up from research on uh, this type of things. Um, and now, so when you think about how to differently do it, what kind of PDE you might need for that, you first have to ask yourself, what do I want this PDE to do, right? So who, who knows this uh, picture? Okay, so what is it? Um, I think somebody tried to restore painting in amateur skills. Yes. Okay. Right. So this, right? So this was, was a Spanish lady. Uh, the original picture 
Well, anyway, where you have the couch making some wrinkles. Um, and this ideally you would like somehow this in-painting method to capture. So this is where I've zoomed in here. This is what the heat equation is doing. So it's really, you can see this local averaging process. And this is what this new um, PD is doing, okay? So it actually pays off to uh, think a little bit about what type of PD you want to use. And when we go back to the example of Joanna, and uh, this was the picture I've shown you at the beginning, and we zoom into this a little bit. This was the stool, this was our in-painting domain. And this is the result of this, so now I'm just saying diffusion, but this is really already the result of this more nonlinear diffusion process that I've shown you before. And again, this is not perfect, but it's trying to at least capture a little bit this continuation of the blackboard here. But what you, you are not bound to diffusion, you could use something else. So here is another example. In this case, not using diffusion, but using transport as a mechanism. So here, what you, you can think of what we are doing is, you are at the boundary of this in-painting domain, and what you're doing is you're picking up the intensity of a pixel that is, out, that is just outside the in-painting domain, and you are transporting it. You're not changing anything, you're not changing the intensity, but you're just transporting it. And you're transporting it in a good direction, where the direction here uh, is picked up by uh, structural information that hits this in-painting domain, like edges. And so you can think of this, so this is the equation, again I'm not going into this, this is a transport equation. And just looking at this picture here, forget about this one, this is a bad way of how to transport, it's basically a bad transport direction you're choosing. But if you do this here, you can think of this as an iterative process where you're transporting, you're just transporting pixels in the right direction, right? So this is, this is somehow the idea. So no diffusion, but in this case it's transport. Okay, so, um, PDEs have limitations, in particular local PDEs, where local, I mean, all of what I've told you is just looking locally and trying to diffuse and transport things into this in-painting domain. But there are limitations to that. If you look at an image with a lot of texture, repetitive structure, like uh, the fur of the cat, then doing something with a local approach, with a, such a diffusion transport approach, is not going to do the job, because you cannot reproduce repetitive structures. So what to do? Well, one way how you can do this is to go to a global approach, from a local to a global approach, which means the following. So here, I've cha I'm changing notation a little bit because I've copied this out of the paper. Um, so here in this case, this is my painting domain what is here called the target region. And this is the, the rest of the image that I call source region, okay? And what I'm doing now is I'm starting at a pixel on the boundary of this in-painting domain. I'm drawing um, a mask around this, a so-called patch, again with a particular um, number of pixels around it. And then I'm doing the following, I'm looking for similar patches in the source region and the intake part of the 
uh, near impact pilot image. And I'm choosing the patch when I compare what is happening in this patch in the part of this patch here, which I know, I'm choosing the one which is most similar to this one, or one of them. Here I have more, uh, I have more choice, right? And then I just copy and paste it into that. And this copy and paste approach, actually, although it, this seems now very different to the PE that we have just seen, or to some of the PEs we have just seen, actually also has an equivalent formulation uh, in terms of a non-local PDE then, okay, where you just, uh, in this case, uh, do not just look locally, but globally uh, in, um, uh, in the whole image. And you do this via this patch-based approach, okay? And when you do this, then all of a sudden this looks much better, yeah? Okay. All happy? Okay, so then let's go a little bit... Um, Two applications. Okay, so the first one uh, is arts restoration. So one of the first things I've started in my PhD was this problem here. So um, Chris said I'm originally from Austria, and this is these are the so-called Neidhardt frescoes in the city center of in an, in an old building in the city center of Vienna. And these Neidhardt frescoes have a kind of interesting story. So they depict songs of the Minnesinger. Is this, do you know what a Minnesinger is? No. Okay, I really don't know if this is actually the English word. So these guys which go in the medieval ages from castle to castle and sing about their experiences. Troubadours. 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 Okay, so Neidhardt from Weintal was such a troubadour. And um, a wealthy clothes merchant um, um, asked an artist in the 13th century to depict some of the songs of this singer and, the, and this, uh, uh, of this troubadour. And this troubadour was singing mostly about profane things, right? So relationships between knights and maidens and things like this. And to cut the long story short, at some point, the church, the Catholic church, got hold of this building. And they really did not like this. So what they did was to just overpaint it. And when uh, they rediscovered these Neidhardt frescoes um, and removed the paint, they unfortunately also removed part of the fresco. Okay, so what we did here was, and now it kind of pays off if you have paid attention in the first part, uh, because what we did here was the following. So we wanted, the idea was to somehow create a digitally restored version of these frescoes. And so what we did here was the following. We did a two-step procedure. First, we applied a local approach to just reconstruct the main structure, the main geometry of what um, is missing. So here we have marked up one particular part of these frescoes. And what we do here is just using a local PDE to impaint the gap. Okay, so this is quite basic. But then, in the second step, we use this as a constraint. So this is my reconstructed structure here. We use this as a constraint for this more copy and paste approach to say we are copy and pasting uh, things into here 
which come from here, right? And we're copy and pasting things from here into here. Okay? And then and then this is and then this is the result. And when you go now to Vienna, you can actually have a look there, actually now physically restored these guys. Okay, so you can have a look. This is in Tuchlau in Vienna. Okay, other examples. So this is now already Cambridge. And this is a painting now, again, this physically restored. You can go to the Fitzwilliam Museum and you can look at it. But when we first uh, uh, looked at this painting together with Spike, who was the person who physically, who was the person who physically restored uh, this painting, he said, look, I mean, look at this painting. And this was really years ago, that they had just finished it. So I think this was like three years ago. So he said, look, we don't even know how to start here. This is, I mean, this is an extreme example, okay? But it's really, there are so many damages, it's not quickly where to start. So here um, we have worked with a visiting return student, Marie. Um, to think about what to do here, and we have focused a bit mo more modestly, okay, so this is really challenging, but we have focused a bit more modestly on this uh, shepherd here. And again, you can see this two-step procedure in the following way. So here, this is the original one. The first thing we did is to fill in the small damages, like the cracks and the small gaps here, via a local procedure. Which gives you that. Do you see the difference? This is original. Okay. And then we have used for the larger gaps a combination between the local and the non-local procedure. Again, initializing the non-local procedure, this copy and paste approach, with the solution of the local procedure. And then this gives you something like that. Okay. So I'm hiding lots of details here because one challenge for Malie was also detect the damages in the especially about paintings, mm -hmm. can you put into your mass equations the technique by the artist as well? Like if it's done by sort of little brush strokes or by... Yes, so what we, we, we did not do that. But you could think of doing that when you, for instance, if you think about having a copy and paste approach which doesn't just look at the damaged painting, but looks at other paintings of the same artist. So you could do something along these lines. But we, we have not done that. So this is really just sourced from the same painting, this approach here. Okay, um, last example here, arts restoration, is this one. So again, this is uh, in the Fitzwilliam Museum. This is uh, detail in an illuminated manuscript. And this was a primer telling the biblical story, the creation of the earth and paradise and so on, for a child, Claude of Francais, who was at that time five years old. And, well, you might identify what this is. So here, Eve is created out of the rib of Adam, and then God explains them the rules, which later on we know they break. Um, but anyway, so this is how you can look at this manuscript today. But what they did, now looking a little bit closer, yeah, 
what they did in the Fitzwilliam Museum is they used um, a technique which can look through um, the visible layers of the paint, again using um, a bigger uh, spectrum of light, uh, so called infrared imaging. They looked through and they saw that actually these curves were not there from the beginning. And they have been applied only later on. And so what we thought was, so the important thing to know is illuminated manuscripts are never touched physically. They will not just remove these curves. They're not changing history. But what we did was that we used the infrared image, particularly the structures that you see here, yeah, and used them as a guidance for this PDE to fill in the colors from the surrounding of the skirt. Okay, in this case, or the skirt is the painting domain, but we do not have no. We actually have a little bit of information within the painting domain, which is given by this infrared image. Okay, and then you can get something like this. So this is now both again a combination of PDE and kind of more an, a non-local copy and paste approach. And then this is how it looks like. So both Adam and Eve were actually dated uh, initially. And this is exhibited now in the Fitzwilliam Museum. And we even made it to the news. So, <laughs> and what did we say? Adam and Eve naked again. <laughs> so anyway, so this is what uh, Okay, so just uh, to summarize a little bit, Mathematics can actually be used to restore images or to create special effects like China flying. And, and in particular, what I'm quite interested in, which is not the only technique, mathematical technique that can be used to do these things, but what I'm quite interested in are these partial differential equations. And we can use them to re recreate frescoes, paintings, manuscripts digitally. Yeah? And the practical impact is kind of twofold. Because on the one hand, when you think about what I told you about Spike and this painting, where he said, look, we don't even know where to start, this could give them some kind of idea of if we would do this, it might look like this, and so on, okay? We could give them some hints of how the, the topic looks. What they actually also quite like is that they have mathematical formalism of why uh, the restored version looks like that. But this is another philosophical question, of course. But and the other thing is, with the illuminated manuscript, it really gives you a way to visualize how this manuscript might have looked originally, which you, which otherwise you, you would not. Um, but there are many other areas of sciences where uh, image processing uh, has an impact and where there are applications that are interesting. And I'm just going to show you a few until Chris says I need to stop. Yes, about 10 minutes. About 10 minutes. Okay, that's great. Okay, so a few other things. Well, we have seen Joanna, so we can skip that actually. Another thing is the following. Think about satellite images. In this case, these are satellite images of roads. And what we're really interested in in these satellite images are the roads. However, because they are satellite images from a bird's view perspective, there might be some obstacles like clouds or 
trees in this case, or cars, or something like this. And what you would like to do is extract from these satellite images a road network. And for doing that, you would maybe like to get rid of these trees um, or the clouds. And this is, can also be, again, formal, formalized as an in-painting process. Okay. Fingerprints. Okay. Um, think about when you come to a crime scene. You probably don't come to a crime scene very often, but you might uh, watch some TV shows or something like this. Anyway, you can imagine that fingerprints there are usually not perfect. Um, this is an example of a fingerprint which has been taken with a too dry ink, so too dry ink. And the issue with this is that if you then want to go away with your fingerprint that you've found, and you want to throw it into a database and look for a similar guy in this database, you want to match up this fingerprint with another one in the database, what these matching uh, algorithms are doing is they're particularly looking for these lines in the fingerprints, for endings in the lines, and for bifurcations, which here are completely messed up, right? So one thing um, that uh, these people are doing is um, they are trying to enhance fingerprints in order to get back the lines and the bifurcations nicely and so on. And again, you can do this with a PDE without going into too much details, but just to say that this is really auto automatic. Okay? So this is automatically the PDE picks up the structure and uses that to impaint again, right, the gaps in these lines. Um, conceptually a little bit different, but just to tell you that uh, very often in imaging we are not just working in the spatial image domain. Uh, pops up when you think about medical imaging. So in medical imaging, very often what the machine is acquiring is not an image directly, but some transform of this image. And in magnetic resonance tomography, very roughly, what this transform of the image is, is the Fourier transform. So it's not measuring an image directly, but frequencies of this image. And it's also not measuring all the frequencies but only a few of them, and the reason is because you don't want this patient to stay in this machine forever, on the one hand, but on the other hand, you might want to get a kind of high-resolution image back. So maybe many unknowns, high-resolution means many unknowns, but you don't want to measure as much as you would need to have these many unknowns, so you need to sample, so this is what is clear sample. So you sample in this frequency space, and this is, you can think of this again as an impending problem, so where the pixels are red, this is where I've recorded frequencies, and where they're blue, I don't know them. But in the end, I would like to get something like that. And this is again something where you can think of this as an in-painting problem, where similar PDE-type techniques, you see derivatives here, okay, are popping up. Um, digital elevation maps, you might have when you record digital elevation maps, you might have a budget in terms of uh, either the time you spend or the type of technology that you have that cannot uh, sample the height of this uh, surface very accurately, but maybe just sparsely. Like here, you have the height information of the surface only given in these sparse, um, sparse locations. 
And again, you can treat this as an interpolation problem. So you want to recreate the height of the surface and all these in-between points. And this you can either use for you know, recreating something from bad measurements or for compression, okay, if you want to have a safe storage. Okay, this is, this is simulated, right? So this is the original. This is the one from the sparse height values. So I think I'm going to skip this because I want to tell you about, I want to finish with a kind of fun example of this one. Um, okay, so uh, from the first, from the first, um, from the first uh, view of this, it might, this might not look as if this has anything to do with in-painting, uh, but it has to do with PDE, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that now. Um, Okay, so this is about image fusion, particularly the fusion of two faces. I have a picture of Obama, and I have a picture of Reagan. And what I want to do is the following. I want, I look at these two faces, and I want to, on the one hand, spatially select which part, for instance, of Obama's face should go onto Reagan's face, for instance, the nose or the eyebrows, or something like this. So I want to spatially select what I want to put on, onto the other's face, and I want to select in terms of scales of structures in the image, what should map, be mapped to the other one. And scales, I mean, should just the, the okay, should just, and this is here, this uh, scale decomposition of both, of both images. Do I just want to match the skin color? This is the kind of largest scale. Or do I want to match the wrinkles or, or things like this, which are the finer scales? What of these scales do I want to match? So here, in this case, what has been matched is the following. So let me think for a second. So here we have put the wrinkles of Reagan onto Obama. We have put Obama, uh, we have put Reagan's eyebrows onto Obama and his nose, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So this, and then, <clears throat> because you can select it, you can also do it the other way around. So this is, <laughs> this is Reagan, <laughs> but uh, made younger. So getting rid of the wrinkles, having Obama's nose, and okay. And just to tell you why this is related to the PDE, and this is a, a very inaccurate explanation, but uh, uh, I think just conceptually that's okay. When you think about what the heat equation does with an image, you start with an image, and then I said the longer you walk along the heat equation, which is here given by this width of this Gaussian kernel, the more you smooth the image, the more you average. So while here all the scales in this image are represented, here you are slowly killing the smaller scales, right? And you are left with an image with only the larger scales in it. So when you think about extracting small scales from large scales, you can think about taking differences between those images and kind of doing something like this, just in a more nonlinear way. Everything has to be nonlinear to do things nicely. Okay, so. <clears throat> What has happened here? This is the Mona Lisa. And what do you think have we have done here? You've seen the guy already that we put up here? Uh, 